All right, well, hey, everybody, welcome to Eagle Church. Really good to have you with us today. If you're at one of our campuses, just think all around the Twin Cities right now. You had Anoka and Blaine and Spring Lake Park, White Bear Lake, Woodbury, of course, here at Lionel Lakes as well, people from Eagle Brook gathering together to worship the same God, and all throughout the country as well. I just got an email this week. We've had over 73 countries, actually 73 on the dot. It wasn't over 73. That'd be weird to say that. Uh, 73 countries that have watched us online since we've gone live. I mean, that's amazing. 73 countries around the globe. We've had a lot of people from like Atlanta, Chicago, New York, large contingents watching from there as well. So all throughout the country, welcome to you as well. We are in the second week of a series called Faith That Works. Because I don't know about you, but I don't have a whole lot of time for a faith that just sits on the shelf collecting dust. I don't have a whole lot of time for a faith that's like an old plaque or a trophy that you pull out every couple times a year. I want a faith that's living, that's active, and it permeates every part of my life. In fact, if you're new to our church or maybe kind of still figuring out what you believe about Jesus, I'm guessing this is one of the questions you might have had. What difference does real faith make in a person's life? It's one of the reasons why I love the book of James so much. James was the brother of Jesus, and he initially didn't believe that Jesus was the Son of God, and who can blame him? I mean, how would you like to have a brother who was sinless and the savior of this world? And you go to your mom, and you're like, how come Jesus always gets to heal people? I never get to heal anyone. You don't let me do that. It's not fair. How come Jesus got to rise from the dead? I never get to rise up from the dead. I mean, that's a lot of pressure to put on a young man. How'd you like to look at your brother and go, what do you think, you're perfect? He's like, well, yeah, actually, sort of I am, you know. I'm surprised that James didn't sit in his basement listening to Stone Temple Pilots and playing Call of Duty all the time. I mean, this is it's a lot of pressure for a guy. And then something changed. Jesus appeared to James after he had died in resurrected form, and it transformed James's life, and it transformed his faith. He went from being a skeptic to being a person who was the leader in the church in Jerusalem. Now, one of the things that's so great about James is he has no time for stale and moldy religion. He gets right to the point. In fact, in the New Testament, there's another guy named Paul, and Paul wrote several letters of the New Testament, and when you read his letters, he has these long, elaborate greetings. So he'll start by saying, you know, grace and peace to you from the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Every time I think of you, I give thanks. He just goes on and on and on. Here's how James begins his letter. Greetings. <laughs> Greetings. I mean, he just, he doesn't waste an ounce of ink. He jumps right into it. In fact, today's message is titled, Do the Word. We're going to discover that God cares more about us being doers of his word than he does about us being hearers of his word. But I want to begin today by asking a question, and the question is this, have you ever gotten expert advice before? I mean, let's say you just ran into Warren Buffett, and he sat down, and he helped you plan out your investment portfolio. Would you take his advice? Or let's say you ran into The Rock or Arnold Schwarzenegger, and Arnold hands you a book called How to Have a Body Like Arnold Schwarzenegger. Apparently, he just carries these with him at all times in case someone's interested. And so you see Arnold a month later, and you come back, and you go, oh, I read the book. It was fantastic. It was so good that I actually got together with a group of guys every week, 
and we would read your book over a breakfast of bacon, eggs, hash browns, waffles, cinnamon rolls, biscuits, gravy, and lard. And Arnold's like, well, are you actually doing what the book says? I mean, are you eating healthier? Are you exercising? And you're like, no. That would be way too much work and effort. But I'll tell you what, I read it, I heard it, just so you know. Would Arnold be satisfied with that? No, he would not be Bach. That's my best Arnold impersonation. (laughs) I did that last night at 4 o'clock, and I said, you know what? Don't do that tomorrow morning. It totally fell flat. But then I thought, you know, I was laying in bed last night. I'm like, the 4 o'clock service is not that bright. I feel like, I feel like the 9 o'clock service is going to go with me. Apparently I was wrong about that. You let me down big time on that one. But Arnold wouldn't be satisfied because he wouldn't want you just to be a hearer of his word. He would want you to be a doer of his word. I'm the same way when it comes to my kids. A few months ago, my three sons came to me and they said, Dad, we got this game we want to play. And the way it worked was they would go get winter gloves from the closet and they would box each other. So they just punch each other in the face, punch each other in the shoulder, wearing these winter gloves. And they asked me if this was okay and I said, well, as long as there's no blood and as long as nobody tells mom, I feel like we should be okay in this. But they took all the winter gloves and and hats out and they left them all over the floor. And so when they were done, I said, hey, you, you gotta put those back away. And the next morning, I woke up, and they were all sitting there. So I said to my son, I said, hey, remember I told you, you need to put those hats and mittens away. And he got this look on his face like it was, he was recalling a previous lifetime or something. It was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> but then he reached down, he grabbed the hats and mittens and just jammed them into the closet. I mean, he didn't put them in the bin. He didn't organize it. Just jammed them in there. I said, is that how the closet looked before you took everything out? Dead serious. He goes, yep. (laughs) Now, what's the problem here? The problem is that my son didn't hear me. That wasn't the problem. He heard. The problem was he didn't do what I asked him to do. And it wouldn't have made me feel any better if he had come to me and he'd said, Dad, I really liked what you had to say about cleaning that closet. I mean, let me tell you, I was engaged. I was extremely entertained the whole way through. It was very good. In fact, it was so good, I would like to come back next week and hear you talk more about cleaning closets and the importance of that. I would tell him, you won't be alive next week. Because I don't want him to just be a hearer of the word. I want him to be a doer. Apparently, God feels the same way. Look at what James writes in James chapter 1. He says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. He says, do what it says. Another translation says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. So James cuts right to the chase. And he says that a faith that listens but doesn't do is a faith that doesn't work. God is not just interested in us being hearers of the word. He wants us to be doers of his word. Does that describe you? I mean, not perfectly, of course. We're all going to struggle to live the life that God wants us to live, but I'm talking about the overall trajectory of your life. Are you a doer of God's word? Look at what Jesus says about this in Matthew chapter 7. He says, anyone who listens to my teaching and obeys me is wise, like a person who builds his house on solid rock. Though the rains come in 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 torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it's built on rock. 
He then says this, but anyone who hears my teaching and ignores it is foolish, like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rains and floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will fall with a mighty crash. As many of you know, last month there were several hurricanes that hit our country. And I was reading an article about the country singer Kenny Chesney. And apparently Kenny has a house down in the Caribbean that was on an island that was in the direct path of Hurricane Irma. And when Hurricane Irma was about to hit the island, about 20 people or so gathered over at Chesney's house. Because as Chesney told one reporter, my house was a safe place for everyone because it was built with stone, concrete, and brick. The other houses on the island were, had no foundation and they were built on the sand. Now Jesus takes that situation and he applies it to all areas of life. He says there's gonna come a time when a storm is going to hit your life. Not a literal storm, most likely, but there's gonna be something that you're gonna go through that is so difficult that it is gonna feel like a wind beating against you. It's gonna feel like you're drowning. And when that happens, he says, when the floodwaters rise and the rains begin to come, the most important question that you will ever ask is this, what is your life built on? What is the foundation of your life? Jesus says there's only one foundation that will withstand the storms, and that's doing what he said to do. Because look at what the difference is between these two guys. The first guy, the first guy says, you know what? I heard the word of God, I listened, but then he obeyed. The second guy heard the word of God, and then he ignored God. In other words, they both listened, they both heard. The difference between the one who was standing and the one who collapsed was not if they heard, they both did. The difference was, did they do? Hearers and doers, which one are you? You know, as I was putting together this message, I was thinking to myself, I wonder how many people here have an area of their life where they just kind of know what God wants them to do, but they're not doing it for whatever reason. I mean, you have an area of your life like that where you kind of know what God wants you to do, but for whatever reason, you just haven't done it. I was talking with a pastor friend recently, and he was asking, you know, how do I grow in my own faith? And how do I protect my own marriage while I'm in ministry and helping others? And I thought I could give a whole message on that. And I would say things like, you know, read your Bible, pray, plan a date night, have a weekend away, and I'll bet you nothing that I would say would cause him to go, oh, I've never heard that before. He's heard it. The question is, will he do it? Maybe you have an area of your life, life like that as well, where you know what the Bible says about tithing. I mean, you know. You know what the Bible says about debt. You know what the Bible says about sexual sin, living together, anger, alcohol, or judging other people. You've heard messages on that. You've read Bible verses about that. But up until now, you haven't done what you know God wants you to do. Or maybe there's just something in your life where you sense that God wants you to adopt or do foster care or serve in some way, and you just know what God wants you to do. But you haven't done it. My hope is that today's message will help change that. My hope is that today's message will help move you from a hearer to being more of a doer of God's word. Because James says it's very dangerous to be a hearer and not a doer. In fact, he gives two reasons why it's dangerous. Here's the first one. He says, you fool yourself. You fool yourself. See, right after James says, don't merely listen to the word, but do what it says, look at what he says next. He says, if you don't obey, 
you're only fooling yourself. For if you just listen and don't obey, it's like looking at your face in a mirror but doing nothing to improve your appearance. You see yourself, walk away, and forget what you looked like. Now, I brought in a prop to help illustrate this. I don't know if you've seen one of these mirrors or not. But if I were to plug these, this thing in, it would light up around here. It would, like, glow. And then the actual mirror itself is like a magnifying glass. You can see every pore known to man through this thing. Why anybody would want to own one of these is beyond me. I don't want to see every pore. I don't want to see every blemish, sunspot, or nose hair that's coming out. I'm more likely to buy a foggy mirror that hides all of those things. But that's beside the point. Imagine if I looked through this mirror and I walked away and I forgot what I looked like. Or imagine if I looked in this mirror and saw my appearance and then I did nothing to improve it. James says, wouldn't that be crazy? A few years ago, I was getting ready for work in the morning and one of my kids walked in and they said, ah, oh, you look the same every day when you go to work. Same button-up shirts, your hair looks the same, all nicely combed. He said, I'll bet those people have never seen you on your day off, walking around the house in your underwear, <laughs> hair sticking straight out, because you look way different then. I was like, thanks, right? A good reminder from your kids. But imagine if I did that. Imagine if I looked at myself in the mirror in the morning and saw my bed head and all that kind of stuff, and I said, well, can't improve on that, and I just walked out the door. That would be crazy. But James says that happens spiritually all the time. See, I struggle with this personally. I know what the Bible says about patience, but sometimes I don't want to be patient. Sometimes I want to honk my horn. I know what the Bible says about provoking your kids to anger. I've read those verses. But there are times in the competition of a basketball game when I will yell out something to my son that I know is going to anger him. I know what the Bible says about loving your enemies. I've read that. I've heard messages about that. But years ago, there was a person who I enjoyed having negative thoughts about them. And I really liked it if other people would talk negatively about them. My point is, I had heard... I knew what the Bible said. I'd heard messages on those topics. The problem wasn't that I hadn't heard. The problem was I hadn't done. In fact, in 2005, I went through a season in my life where it just felt like I was drowning. We had just had our first kid. I was in seminary. I was working full time. And I was tired. I was irritable. I was exhausted and crabby most of the time. And I knew the Bible said rejoice always. I'd read that verse. I knew the Bible said, give thanks in all circumstances. I had read that one too. But I didn't want to rejoice. I didn't want to give thanks. I just wanted to complain about how bad my life was at that time. In fact, that year I listened to a message by Pastor James McDonald. And it was called Replacing a Complaining Attitude. It was about the Israelites in Numbers chapter 11 and how God had rescued them from slavery and provided everything they needed. And yet all they did was complain and grumble to God. Now, I had listened to a lot of messages that year. But I remember that one, even though it was 12 years ago, because I did something about it. See, after that message, I vowed I was going to do two things. Number one, I vowed that I was going to have a time every day where I thanked God for what I had instead of complaining about what I didn't have. Now, I don't do that all the time today. But for a stretch in 2005, I did, and it's more of a habit for me now to thank God for what I have. The second 
vow that I made was I said, I'm gonna read the Bible every day, but with one added provision. I'm gonna believe that God has me reading that verse at that moment for a specific reason. That it's not just a coincidence that I happen to be reading that chapter that day. And so I asked God two questions. What do you want me to do? And what are you trying to teach me from this verse? And I do that. I read a chapter from the Bible, and then I ask those two questions. Now, here's what I've learned from all of this. I have learned that oftentimes a spiritual renewal will take place in my life. And by spiritual renewal, I simply mean I just feel closer to God. And there's some of you here today, you're like, man, I want to feel close to God. I want to feel his love. I want to sense his presence. I'm just speaking for myself. But every time I have entered into a spiritual renewal in my life, it's because I took spiritual action. Here's what I believe to be true. Spiritual renewal often begins with spiritual action. It begins when you stop listening to the word and you start to do what it says. Let me ask you, is that your spirit? When you come to church or when you read a verse from the Bible, do you have the spirit of, God, what are you trying to teach me? What do you want me to do? You know, maybe there's an area of your life right now that you're kind of rationalizing. And you're rationalizing something you know God doesn't want you to do. You know what the Bible says about not dating an unbeliever, about dating somebody who shares the same values you have for Christ. But you think to yourself, you know what, but, but they're a good person, and, and they said they'd come to church with me sometime. You know what the Bible says about debt. But you go, you know what, I want that, I need that, I have to have that. You know what the Bible says about having sex outside of marriage. But you're like, but we love each other, and we need to take our relationship to the next level. You know what God wants you to do. Now you just need to do it. Now, as I give those examples, I'm guessing there might be a few of you who are going, I'm doing one of those, and I didn't even know that was wrong. And if that's you, I get it. I became a follower of Christ when I was in college. And I remember people coming to me and going, well, did you know what the Bible said about that? Or do you know what Jesus says about that? And I was like, I had no idea. I didn't even know it was wrong. My problem back then wasn't that I was a hearer and not a doer. My problem was I hadn't heard. It's hard to do if you haven't heard. So we're reading through the book of James right now as a church. What if you read one chapter a day for the rest of this week? You'd finish the book of James. It would take you five minutes a day to get into his word. And what if you asked those two questions? What do you want me to do? And God, what are you trying to teach me? Because look at what James says next. He says, if you do what it says, if you do what the Bible says, and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. Friends, I don't have a silver bullet for you. If you want to be blessed by God, if you want to sense his hand on your life and his presence in your life, then do what he says to do. James says anything else is fooling yourself. It's the first danger of being a hearer and not a doer. Here's the second danger of being a hearer and not a doer. Faith without works is dead. Faith without works is dead. Look at what James says in verse 17. He says, faith that doesn't show itself by good deeds is no faith at all. It is dead and useless. I got an email from a woman after one of my most recent messages, and the subject line said, you never know who's watching. And then she sent me this picture. You can see it up on the side screens as well. <laughs> now, I have all sorts of questions about this picture. First of all, 
Where are the adults? I mean, they're in the other room watching the Vikings game, I'm guessing, and they stuck the dog in front of the computer. And whenever people send pictures of like people watching Bob's messages online, it's like 30 people gathered around the computer in China. And then I get the dog. I mean, we're going to run some demographic thing, and they're going to find out that I'm very popular with the canine demographic. So that's what I get. But I sent her an email back, and I said, you know, the question is, is he actually going to do what I'm saying to do? <laughs> anybody can listen. Anybody can hear. Even a dog can do that. But James says that faith without works is dead. Right after James says that faith without works is dead, he uses Abraham as an example. And Abraham was the father of the nation of Israel. That's who God started that nation through and his descendants. But Abraham wasn't always right with God. Look at what James says had to happen. He says, don't you remember that our ancestor Abraham was declared right with God because of what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? And then a few verses later, he says, so you see, we are made right with God by what we do, not by faith alone. So he says, you're made right with God, not by what you do, or not by faith alone, by what, by what you do. Now, here's what's really interesting about that verse and controversial about that verse. Because look at what Paul writes in Romans 4. He says, Abraham. So he's using Abraham as an example as well. Believed God, so God declared him to be righteous. A few verses later, he says, but people are declared righteous because of their faith, not because of their work. Let me summarize this for you. James says that you're made right with God, not by faith alone, but by what you do. Paul says that you're made right with God, not by what you do, but by faith alone. I mean, it seems like they're contradicting one another. Well, this contradiction, like many so-called contradictions in the Bible, isn't really a contradiction at all. Let me try to untangle this for you. You are saved by faith alone. Bible is crystal clear about that. Faith alone, not by works. And that's good news because if I came to some of you and I said, hey, you want to be saved? You want to be right with God? Well, you better do some stuff. You would get so stressed out. You would go, well, did I do enough? I mean, I, I served here, but then I couldn't serve here and I didn't have time. Did I give enough? Did I serve enough? Did I do enough? And you would be extremely stressed out and anxious about that. But the Bible says you're saved through faith in Jesus Christ alone. Paul is right. But here's what James means. When James says that you're saved not by faith alone, but by what you do, what he means is that your faith, if it's genuine, is going to produce good works. Here's another way of saying this. Good works don't create faith. Good works reveal faith. Maybe this analogy will help. If I planted these watermelon seeds over here, they would naturally produce watermelons. They wouldn't have to try really hard not to produce beans. They would just naturally produce watermelons. In the same way, when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you will naturally start to produce good works. You will naturally want to love God and do what he says because you trust him. You have faith in him. It's not faith or works. It's faith and works. But this debate still rages on today. 
I was standing with a group of people recently and one person said, oh, I just heard this great quote. It's about how Christianity is more about what you do than what you believe. Do you agree with that? That Christianity is more about what you do than what you believe. Everybody that was standing around the circle with me loved it. They were like, oh yeah, it's not about dogma. It's not about doctrine. It's not about what you believe. It's about what you do. And I just had to ask the question. I said, are believing and doing opposed to one another? If I want to help the poor, why do I do that? Isn't it because I believe that all human beings matter to God? Isn't it because I believe Jesus when he says it's more blessed to give than it is to receive? Isn't it because I believe the Bible when it says that we should care for widows and orphans? In other words, doing and believing are not opposed to one another any more than faith and works are opposed to one another. But people fall into two opposite extremes on this. The one extreme is, hey, doesn't matter what you do as long as you believe. The other one is, hey, doesn't matter what you believe as long as you do. And both extremes are dangerous. When I was in seminary, I volunteered at a nursing home. And right when I got there, I wanted to leave because I had dressed up in like a sweater and a nice button-up shirt, and it was like 96 degrees in there. So, I mean, right away, I'm like, oh, my God, I can't, can't I breathe, I can't breathe. And as the chaplain began to walk me around, he was introducing me to the residents. And the first resident that he introduced me to took one look at me and she goes, comb your hair. <laughs> and I don't even know why I bothered. But I tried to explain myself to her. And this was back when it was kind of cool to wear your hair really messy. And so I tried to tell her, I was like, you know, it looks messy, but it's like this cool new style. People are wearing their hair like this. And she looked at me and she goes, that's not a style, it's just messy looking. <laughs> now I was a little frustrated with her, but I was proud of myself. I took the high road and I said, you want a piece of me? Let's go right now, it's hot in here, let's go outside, we can handle this. <clears throat> she was probably right about my hair. But a little bit later, the chaplain told her that I was a seminary student and she looked at me and she said, and you call yourself religious with hair like that? <laughs> now, what's happening here? She thinks that to be a follower of Christ, you have to look a certain way. You have to have some external. You have to do something. So you better comb your hair. You better tuck in your shirt. You better press your khakis because it's about how you look. It's about what you do. She's not alone in believing that. Human beings have this propensity to try to point to some external, something they've done, as a reason for why they're superior to other human beings. In fact, in the last six months, just watching social media or watching the news, I have seen people stand up and declare that they are superior because of their race. Well, I have this skin color and I have these ancestors, so therefore, I'm superior to everybody who doesn't. I've seen people stand up and say, I'm superior because of my gender. And everybody who's not my gender, well then, you know, you're, you're not quite as good as I am. I've seen people point to their background or their educational history. I've seen people point out, well, I voted for that person. Well, I didn't vote for that person. And all the people who did vote for that person are so foolish. I'm not like that because I didn't do that. 
I'm liberal, I'm conservative, I'm Catholic, I'm Lutheran, I'm Baptist, I'm evangelical. I drive a nicer car than you because I make more money than you do. Well, I don't drive such a nice car because I'm not as worldly as you are and I give my money to other things. I adopted a puppy. I'm so compassionate. I know the Bible really well. I'm a pastor. I mean, if anybody was superior with God, you'd have to say it's somebody who has a job as a pastor. Now, what's the basic idea here? I'm superior because of some external. I'm superior because of something that I did. Can I just tell you, God's not impressed. That when we stand before God and we go, oh God, look at me, I'm better than them, I'd have this. God's going, all of your attempts at righteousness are like filthy rags in my sight. God's not into that at all. It's why the Bible is so clear that you're saved by grace. It means that you didn't deserve it. Through faith in Christ. So that what? So he says that no one can boast. No one can say, oh, look at me. Because we're saved by grace through faith. That's the first extreme. But the other extreme says, hey, doesn't matter what you do as long as you believe. I was talking to a young woman just recently, and she said this out loud. She goes, you know what? I believe that God exists. That's good enough for me. And in the context of her conversation, what she meant was, I don't need to go to church. I don't need to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I, I don't need to have a faith that makes any kind of impact on my daily life because I believe there's a God out there. Well, here's the problem with that. Even Satan believes that God exists. Look at what James points out in the next verse. He says, do you still think it's enough to just believe that there's one God? Well, even the demons believe this and they tremble and tear. He says, fool, when will you ever learn that faith that does not result in good deeds is useless? As I was putting together this message, I kept thinking, what does God want us to do? I mean, if you're giving a message on being a doer of the word, you kind of know, well, God, what do you want me to do? And James starts to get at that a little bit in verse 15. He says this. He says, suppose you see a brother or sister who needs food or clothing, and you say, well, goodbye, and God bless you. Stay warm and eat well, but then you don't give that person any food or clothing. He said, what good does that do? Last year, my son had a new girl move into his class at Calvin Christian School. She was from out of state. And they were going around one morning talking about their highlights of the weekend. And this girl, she didn't know my son went to Eagle Brook or that I was one of the pastors here. But she said, you know, a couple weeks ago, I went to this church and they had free popcorn and they had all these games. And she said, it was unbelievable. I said, this must be like some special weekend. But she said, I went back this weekend and they had the popcorn and they had the games. Some of you didn't realize there's free popcorn over there. I don't know why you're in here. There's free popcorn <laughs> over there. But this is true. And not just games and free popcorn. But when you check your kids into kids programming, they will hear a message that they can actually apply and do. They won't just be hearing or listening. They will be challenged to be a doer of God's word. But then a little bit later, she was talking about her mom. And her mom is a single mom. And she said, you know, when my mom does a really good job at work, they give her these gift cards to like restaurants as a bonus. But she says, my mom gives half of them away. She prays and she asks God to show her a person who is 
in need of some encouragement. And then she gives away the gift card along with a note of encouragement and an invite to Eagle Brook Church. And my son was telling me this story. And I'm thinking, here's a single mom who probably would appreciate a gift card to a restaurant more than most of us. To be able to come home and go, hey, we don't have to cook a meal. We can just go out to eat together. And here she is giving half of them away. And it makes you wonder, why? Well, I've never talked to this woman before. But my guess is it's because she has real faith. My guess is it's because she has the kind of faith that sees a person who's in need and says, you know what? I'm going to go meet that need. Do you have that kind of faith? I do sometimes. But I'm disappointed to say not all the time. Now, we can't meet every need. Sometimes people go, why aren't you doing this as a church? I'm like, well, we're doing this, 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 and this. We, you can't meet every single need, but we could meet some needs. In fact, those of you who give to this church on a regular basis, you're doing this. We give away millions of dollars every year to places like Healing Haiti and Orphan Network in Nicaragua and local organizations that help people who are in need. And we do it because the book of James says this. It says, so you see, it isn't enough just to have faith. Faith that doesn't show itself by good deeds is not faith at all. It is dead and useless. What if every one of us today walked out of church and we just made a vow and we said, God, I'm going to do what you've asked me to do. That one area of your life where you know what God wants you to do, but up until now you haven't done it. What if today you begin to pray that God would give you the power and strength to do what God has asked you to do? And you said, God, I'm real serious about this. I mean, I'm really going to do this. And then what if this week you looked around and you just prayed, God, show me a person who's in need and maybe allow me to meet that need. Just imagine if 20,000 Eagle Brookers were unleashed all throughout the country and the world to meet the need of 20,000 people who maybe even aren't attending church. And those people would see that we're not just hearers of God's word, but we're doers. Would you join me as we stand and close in prayer? God, I thank you for your word so that we know what you want us to do. We're not guessing about that, God. You're so clear in your communication and just take a moment to thank you for that. God, there might be an area of our life where we know what you want us to do, but for whatever reason, we just haven't done it. God, that's so hard. I have areas like that. I, I've struggled with it for years, but Lord, I just pray right now for supernatural power from your spirit that would allow us to do what you've asked us to do, that we wouldn't just be hearers of your word, but that we would have the mindset of, God, what do you want us to do? What are you trying to teach us? God, would you speak to us this week? And God, if there's a person in our life who needs something, maybe they need something physically, but maybe they need something spiritually or emotionally, they just need some encouragement, God, would you use us this week to not walk past to not just decide, you know what, I'm not gonna make the phone call, but that, God, we would reach out and we would meet that need. And we would be a doer of your word. 
God, I thank you in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. If you need any prayer at all, come on down front. Otherwise, have a great weekend, everybody.